of seeing, especially, no offense, but the Southwest region. Okay? We love, we love the North. We love everybody else. But we just love to see all of our old people, okay? So good to be here with you guys. Uh, I do want to say uh, a big greeting from Lubbock. And uh, what's encouraging is, um, actually, there's a good number of us here today. Um, I don't know how many of us are here, but there's quite a few. Um, let me do this. If you're from Lubbock, let me see. Stand up. If you used to be in Lubbock also, go ahead, let me see. Stand up. Let's see who's here. Woo! That is so exciting. We, uh, we have a wedding today, so that's why most of us are here. Okay, there's a wedding. We do love you guys too, but... We came for a wedding. So I want to share a little bit about Lubbock, what's going on. Um, my wife and I have been back there now for almost three, well, two and a half years, I think it is. And uh, it's exciting to be back. Um, and I want to share with you guys, since October of last year, we've had five baptisms and one restoration uh, in the last, like, four or five months, which is exciting. Yeah. We have a goal this year. We, we have a goal of studying the Bible with 100 people. Okay? Uh, you know, when you're part of a small church, and I don't know if you guys have been to a small church, but you, you don't have this. Okay, you don't get to have all these amazing singers and people up here. I mean, we have good singers, don't get me wrong. Okay, but when people come to church, they're not impressed with our singing. Okay, uh, when people come to church, they're not impressed. We don't have this beautiful, nice building where you guys are meeting. So our thought is we need to impress people with the word of God. So that's our goal, to study the Bible with 100 people this year. Uh, our theme for the year is engage. We're going after engaging with God, engaging with each other, and engaging with the lost. And uh, we're doing a series right now, which I, I really thought, because a lot of the Lubbock Church is going to be here, we'll just continue the series. But we're not, okay? Uh, but the series is called Come and See Encounters with Jesus. And, uh, you know, special missions is coming up, and I know uh, it was mentioned earlier, but I do want you guys to know that when you, when you give, I, I think getting to see the Lubbock Church, a lot of us being here, you see where your help is going, okay? It's not just something we do. Because it's easy to get that way. It's easy to feel like, well, it's just something we do every year, and it's just where I get my money. But you got to realize there are people and faces and souls that it's touching. Okay, so when you guys give, continue to give. It helps us. It helps to support us. It helps us to be able to lead the church there. It helps us to be able to do a lot of things. So I definitely want to thank you guys for all your giving and encourage you to continue to be very generous. Amen? Okay, so I want to get interactive for a second, okay? There's a lot of people here. But I want to ask everybody to stand up. Okay? All right, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to ask you a question. If, if you have been a disciple or been baptized for less than 10 years, go ahead and sit down. Okay, it's interesting. I want you to look around and see how many people are still standing. Okay? 15 years. Less than 15 years, go ahead and be seated. Almost nobody sat down. Less than 20 years, go ahead and be seated. Look at the number of people still standing. And realize the wisdom and the experience that you have in this room. Okay, now, uh, let's say 30 years, less than 30 years going to be seated. Wow. Okay, let's keep going. 40 years? 40 years? Less than 40 years? Wow. 
Sorry. Sorry, we don't have any prizes for you, but go ahead and be seated. Go ahead and be seated. So you guys saw how many people have been around 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, okay? And I want to ask you guys that have been around for a little while, is the church the same way that it used to be, okay? I want to, I want to, share, I want to share something with you guys. So the other day I was going through some of my notes. I was baptized June of 1991, okay? My wife was baptized June of 1991 as well, coming up on 20, what, 26 years. Okay, so the other day I was going through and I found one of my old notebooks. This is from October of 1991, okay? And uh, it's funny to go back and look at stuff you wrote 25 years ago, right? So this is from October of 1991, and I want to share a couple of things with you. Um, I have notes in here that I took at Bible Talk. We just take notes at Bible Talk. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, there's a lot of great lessons in here. Uh, one of the things I thought was so funny was um, I have in here a lot of, or not a lot, but two or three maps of how to get to people's houses. There was no GPS. There was no, literally I have, this is the street. This is where you go. I'll show you later if you want to see it. And so we have all that. But one of my very, very favorite things, and I don't know if I can find it this minute, but I have a, 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 the day that Mary and I met, uh, the church service that we were at, I have the notes. It was called More Than Words, and it was the uh, inaugural service for the church in Hilo, Hawaii, and we happened to be there. We met that day, and I, I wrote on the top, this is the day that Mary and I met. I wrote that much later. I didn't write that day, but later. <laughs> but I also have in here a lot of convictions that I had back then. I want to share a couple of things with you. I had written this down, and this was my goal from the 27th of November to the 1st of January, 92. I was going to call the brother that was in my life helping me out every day and confess sin every day. That was my goal. I was going to fast from chocolate for a month. And it's funny because I try to think back and I try to think, did I really like chocolate that much? Because now, I mean, I'll, I'll go a month or two or without having chocolate now, but apparently back then it was a big deal. My goal was to share with 10 different people every day. My goal was to read 1 Samuel and to exceed my walkathon goal. We were having a walkathon by $100, okay? And you gotta remember, this was 20 years old, you know, no money, uh, so that was a big deal for me to, to exceed it by $100. And there's a, this is, the, the crazy thing is, this is not the only notebook I have like this. A lot of other notebooks from taking notes, right? You guys have been around, you know what I'm talking about, right? Forget all this iPad stuff. We had wrote, we wrote notes, we have pages and pages of notes, and we had deep convictions, and the question I have today is, how are our convictions? Is the 2017 you more or less devoted, excited, and committed than the 2000 you was? And I know there's some of you guys in your campus, guys, you're like, the 2000 me was three years old. <laughs> or maybe the 2000 you was barely born. I don't know. So you can't really relate to that question. Just take it and, and get the point, okay? <laughs> I hope you get the point. So for me, it's easy to look back and say, well, I was single. Mary was in campus, my wife Mary, she was in campus. We were 19 or 20 years old, life was easier. Of course we were more radical. Of course we had more convictions. Life was easier. But the question I have is this, why does radical have to be for the young? Seriously, we know the story of Caleb from the Bible, right? Joshua 14, we're not gonna turn there. Joshua, I mean, Caleb was how old? 85 years old. And he was just as ready to go and take the land as he was when he was in his 40s. And that challenges me because I'm in my 40s. 
And I'm thinking, 85, that seems really old. But he was just as strong as he was. And, and you know, I'll tell you kind of what got me going on this. I've been listening to Dallas's sermons a lot. I do that. I'll listen to the sermons on the podcast. And I've heard a lot of the sermons uh, that Gordon Ferguson has done, at least for the Southwest. I don't know for everywhere, but for the Southwest at least. And I appreciate him a lot. Gordon Ferguson is, I don't know, his 70s, right? 70-something years old. But my, my, what, what has just really moved my heart is that he's calling the church, and I believe the church at large, back to deeper convictions. <laughs> calling us back to deeper convictions. Back to when our lives are really given up, really committed, really, really devoted to serving Jesus and living for him. So how are your convictions? How are you doing at obeying everything Jesus commanded? It's interesting to me that we read Matthew 28 and it says, go make disciples, right? We do great at that. We love that. We love that so much. But it says, go and teach them to obey everything I commanded you. And I think what's interesting is there's, there's an implied lesson in there that we are supposed to obey everything he commanded. So I wonder, how are we doing at those things? Are you moving forward in following Jesus? Here's a good question for you. Are there things that would shock you 10 or 20 years ago that don't really shock you today? Man, I think about that, and I'm like, probably. It's pretty challenging. Let's turn to Hebrews chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 3. I'm sorry, verse, chapter 2 and verse 1 through 3. It says, we must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? It says, we got to be careful not to drift away. There's a book called uh, Slouching Toward Gomorrah, and uh, there's a, a quote in here, and, and it's a book that, you know, you read it. It's not one of these really inspiring books, but there's a couple of things in there that are very challenging. And one of the quotes, it says, with each new evidence of deterioration, we lament for a moment, and then we become accustomed to it. And I'm concerned that it's so easy for us to drift away. I'm concerned that we can see the deterioration. A lot of us can look back at our lives and go, I remember when I was so radical for Jesus. I remember when I was ready to go and save the world. But over time, we see a little deterioration and we're like, oh, that's not good, but we get used to it. That's not good, but we get used to it. I'm a little bit not as, as radical as I was, but we get used to it. We lament a little while, but then we get used to it. And, and here's, here's kind of the point is the zeal I think that we used to have, the hard work that we used to put in, the, the fire that we had, the sense of purpose, the sense of unity, they're probably not what they used to be. Now, we might expect staff, people, or interns to be, you should be radical and working hard. But I'm going to tell you, I don't care if you're in the ministry or not, as disciples, we're supposed to be working hard for our Lord, right? So, I do want to say this. Some of us have been around for a long time. We can look back and remember all these things, remember the zeal and the passion. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, yes, there were some hard times, okay? We, we can all agree with that, right? There were some tough times, the way things were done, the way things were handled, some of the things, the, the motivations that we had, and, and there's a lot of things that needed to change. I'm totally with you on that, but I don't think I'm crazy to say that inch by inch, year by year, moment by moment, the zeal and the passion that we have has faded. Now, think of this. Instead of affecting our culture, 
We let our culture affect us. Look at all the racial and political things that happen, even in the church, that we talk about and that we hear about. And instead of us being the ones affecting the culture of our society, we're letting our culture affect us. And it challenges me because Jesus was not like that. Jesus didn't do that. He challenged the culture. He went in and challenged the culture. Were mistakes made in the past? Yes, mistakes were made in the past. There's probably mistakes being made right now. But my goodness, when can we get over it and get back to being the radical disciples that we used to be? And the point is not that we're just going to be radical because of the sake of being radical. It's because we're following a radical king. That's why the name of the title today is The Return of the King. You know, there were times that we got into some man-focused motivation in our Christianity. I remember that. Maybe you haven't been around long enough to know what I'm talking about. And you know what? Amen. I thank God for that. That just tells you how far we've come. If you don't know what I'm talking about, don't worry about it. Okay? Don't worry about it. But if you know what I'm talking about, all of that stuff I believe God dealt with himself. I believe God dealt with that stuff. But I wonder, what did we trade that wrong motivation for? What did we trade it for? And I think for some of us, we traded it for our focus of following Jesus to a focus of following the world. Why do I say that? And maybe you don't like that. I don't, I don't know. But why do I say that? Because I believe this. We have more motivation and we put more effort and time into our work, our hobbies, and education, to being comfortable, to getting our kids to their school and sporting events than we do to meeting with brothers and sisters to encourage them, to inviting other disciples into our lives so that we can become more like Jesus, and we do to seeking and saving the lost. And what concerns me is, guys, all of the other stuff is just here, temporary. And, and I'm not saying any of that's bad. You should have a job, okay? You should have, work on your marriage. You better take your kids to school. But those things cannot be our king. Those things cannot be what we live for. Because what's the point of it? And if all of this is not you and you're doing great and you're passionate and sold out for God, I apologize. Keep fighting the fight. But if we're not at that point, I want to ask you, what's the point? I'm going to live for this life, have a good job, raise my kids, and then die? What's the point? And we better not be deceived into thinking that I'm a part of this church, so I'm doing okay. Because that is not true at all. The question is not, are you in the church? The question is, who is the king? Who is the king? Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. 15 through 26. The Bible says, be aware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but are really vicious wolves. You can identify them by their fruit. That is by the way they act. You can pick grapes, or, or can you pick grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? A good tree produces good fruit. A bad tree produces bad fruit. A good tree can't produce bad fruit, and a bad tree can't produce good fruit. So every tree that does not produce good fruit is chopped down and thrown into the fire. Yes, just as you can identify a tree by its fruit, so you can identify people by their actions. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom on that day. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven. 
On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. Anyone who listens to my teaching and follows it is wise, like a person who builds a house on solid rock. Though the rain comes down, it torrents, the floodwaters rise, the winds beat against that house, it won't collapse because it is built on bedrock. But anyone who hears my teaching and doesn't obey it is foolish, like a person who builds a house on sand. When the rains and floods come and the winds beat against that house, it will collapse with a mighty crash. So our being Christians and being disciples are not about all of the deeds and good things that we can do. They are about who is the king who is really in charge, who is really leading our lives. That is the point. See, and I know, um, and, and this may or may not apply to you or, or you know, some of the church. And I will tell you this. When you're preparing a sermon, one of the things that's difficult, especially in a big congregation like this, is did you notice we had people from the last few years, five years, 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years? How do you put together a lesson that's good for all those people? You, you just got to go for it, right? And preach something that is really important for all of us. Because I think sometimes here's what it is. We want Christianity and we want preaching that's inspiring, right? Amen. That makes us feel encouraged. And that's good stuff, right? But I want to remind you of a few of the teachings of Jesus. Not the, not the Dallas church, not Todd Assad. Jesus himself. And we're not going to turn to him and read them. I'm just going to tell you what they are. Matthew 5, love your enemies. That's a tough one. Matthew 5, turn the other cheek. How many of us in here, if somebody slapped you, you turn the other cheek? Woo, I don't know. Man, we get offended so fast, don't we? God or money, you have to choose. Matthew 6. Don't worry about anything, Matthew 6. Luke 14, if you don't love Jesus more than anything, you can't follow him. Woo, that's a good one. Luke 14, he also said, if you don't give him everything you have, you can't be a disciple. Jesus didn't teach nice, quotable, feel-good lessons. Jesus said, if you're going to follow, you got to follow to die. If you're going to follow, you got to follow all the way. And I think that's where we, we, we need to get to is where, regardless of what's going on, regardless of the programs that the church might have going on, and there's some great things, guys. I'm going to tell you right now, the church in Dallas, I believe, is one of the leading churches in the world as far as all the things that it's doing. That is an amazing thing. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. I've talked to other people from other places, and they all say that Texas is kind of leading the way. And much of that is because of the Dallas church. Awesome, awesome thing. But what I really want to ask you is, really, who's the king, though? Who's the king? I think sometimes we get away from following Jesus, and even as much as we're spiritual and religious, we can very much even make it about that, and it's not really about Jesus. Because the goal is not to buckle down. The goal is not to do more. The goal is not to be more spiritual. The goal is to follow this man, Jesus. That's the goal. To get our eyes back on him, our hearts completely committed to him, to put him back in charge. This happened to the first disciples. Let's turn to Luke chapter 24. Luke 24. This same thing happened to the disciples. And they got to physically touch Jesus. And I think it's a little hard for us sometimes because, guys, we don't see him. Do you know what I mean? We live in a society where you get to see everything. 
We live in a society where, seriously, you can see anything you want to see on the internet, right? There's a lot of stuff that you should not see on the internet. There's a lot of stuff you probably don't want to see on the internet. But you can see anything. Think about it. The galaxies. We can see the galaxies. Think about the smallest things that we can see. You can see the small. You can see quarks. You know what a quark is, but you can see it, right? We can see anything. You want to see someone who lives over in, uh, in Eurasia? We can see them right now, face to face. We can see anything, but we can't see Jesus, and so it's hard. So we have to fight. We have to make it our goal. I want to see him. Luke 24, verse 13. <clears throat> that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. And as they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with him, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, what are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them named Cleopas asked him, are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who doesn't know what has happened in the last few days? What things, he asked. Jesus is super smart. Jesus playing stupid, right? What, what are you talking about? How cool would that be if people didn't recognize you? And you're like, hey, what do you think about Roddy? And they just told you what they said. That'd be kind of, I don't know if you want to know, right? But he goes on about Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went back to the tomb early this morning, but they didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and they found it just as the women had said, but they didn't see Jesus. He said to them, how foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. Now turn over to John chapter 21. <clears throat> the, the road to Emmaus is one of my favorite stories. It's so cool because it's, I mean, it's like a movie. You know, Jesus shows up. You know, and he's talking to him about what's going on. And then later on, he disappears. It's, so, it's such an awesome story. But John 21, verse 1. says, afterward, Jesus appeared again to his disciples by the Sea of Galilee. It happened this way. Simon Peter, Thomas, also known as Didymus, Nathaniel from Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee and two other disciples were together. I'm going out to fish, Simon Peter told them. And they said, we'll go with you. So they went out, got in the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples didn't realize that it was Jesus. Understand this. These men had just been with Jesus a few days earlier. These men had seen him do amazing things. They had done amazing things. These guys had preached, they had healed, they faced opposition, they saw lives change, they saw Jesus stare down the Pharisees, they saw Jesus turn over the tables a few years earlier. They had seen Moses and Elijah up on the mountain with Jesus on the transfig mountain transfiguration. They had seen all kinds of amazing stuff. But when Jesus was no longer around, they saw him die, their dream died. Their hope died. The Bible says they were downcast. They said, we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. And Peter said, I'm going fishing. And the other guys said what? 
yeah, we're going to go with you. Don't you just feel the defeat in those sentences? Can't you just feel the discouragement that these guys had? Why? Because they're, they didn't see Jesus anymore. They thought it was going to be amazing, and then he was gone, and so it was no longer amazing. So what did they do? They went back to the way they used to live. But isn't that just like us? Life changes. Maybe it's not like I thought it was going to turn out. Christianity sometimes gets hard, doesn't it? And for us, we can easily go back to our old way of doing things. Maybe we're still at church. Maybe we're still showing up on Sundays, but we're back to doing the old things we used to do. I'll tell you this. Christianity that does not have Jesus at the very core of it is not Christianity. Jesus had died. They took their eyes off him. Their hopes were gone. And they returned to what they knew. And that's exactly what we do. But let's turn to John chapter 21, verse 5. Because the story gets better. That's so encouraging. In verse 5, it says, he called out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? And, and understand this, they didn't catch any fish. They're already discouraged. And now you go fishing all night and don't catch fish. Do you not, have you ever fished for at least a little while and didn't catch fish? Yeah. It wasn't like you left and came home and was like, yeah, that was awesome. Right? You, what a discouraging night. And then here's this guy on the shore. And he's like, what, you don't have any fish? <laughs> Their first attitude was probably like, who's this guy? I just... I just, when I read a story, I try to think, what would it be like if I was there? What would I think? I would have probably had an attitude with that dude. <clears throat> no, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. When they did, they were unable to haul in the net because of the large number of fish. Then the disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. And as soon as Simon Peter heard him say it's the Lord, he wrapped his outer garment around him, for he had taken it off and jumped into the water. The other disciples followed in the boat, towing the full net of fish. For they were not far from the shore, about a hundred yards. When they landed, they saw a fire of coals burning there with fish on it and some bread. Even that's so cool, right? Bread and fish. When have you seen that before, right? They had to know who it was now. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish you have just caught. So Simon Peter climbed back into the boat, dragged the net ashore. It was full of large fish, 153. But even with so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. None of the disciples dare ask him, who are you? They knew who he was. They knew it was the Lord. Jesus came, took the bread, and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This is now the third time he appeared to his disciples after he was raised from the dead. When they had finished eating, Jesus said to Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? Yes, Lord, he said, you know I love you. Jesus said, feed my lambs. Again, Jesus said, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. Jesus said, take care of my sheep. The third time he said to him, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was hurt because Jesus had asked him the third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Think about the excitement. Jesus was back. He was back. I mean, are they scared? Yeah, they're scared. But how excited do they have to be? Here's, and of course, Simon's feelings are hurt, right? He knew exactly why Jesus asked him three times. His feelings are hurt. But what had happened? The king was back. Jesus was back. So what needs to happen for us? Jesus has to come back. And I don't mean return. It's hard to do a sermon like that without saying Jesus comes back. And we're talking about the, 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 when he comes back, you mean to take us back to heaven? That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about he needs to become 
king again. We need to see Jesus again. We need to return to him, fix our eyes on him. And when we call ourselves disciples, guys, here's the thing we got to remember. We are not saying I'm a part of the Lubbock Church, the DFW Church, the Southwest Region, the Northwest Region, the ICLC, whatever. We are not saying that. We're saying I follow Jesus Christ. That's what we're saying when we say we're disciples. Because your membership in this church does not equal discipleship. It does not. The question I have for you is not, are you a member in good standing? The question I have for you is, are you following the king? That's the question I have for you. And we all know what happened, right? We go read the book of Acts. We know what happened after all this came, happened. They went, and the Bible says they turned the world upside down. Peter, who had gotten his feelings hurt, preached the first sermon. 3,000 were baptized. Then we see all the things that happened in the book of Acts. They went, and they were probably more radical after this than they were before. They were more radical when Jesus came back. And that's what I believe with all my heart. When Jesus comes back, the radical comes back. When Jesus comes back, the fire comes back. They lived, they died for Jesus when he returns. Guys, I miss being the radical church that we used to be. I miss being the fiery, sold-out church that we used to be. But here's the thing. We cannot be radical for the sake of being radical. I'm not telling you, hey, just go out and act radical. Because a lot of people do that. It has nothing to do with God. We can't just do more things and be like we used to be. Because if I'm honest, those who stood up 10, 20, 30 years, you probably cannot physically do the things you used to do 10, 20, 30 years ago, right? Man, I'm with you. I'm 45, and I don't think that's very old. But I don't feel the same way that I felt when I was 20, okay? So maybe you don't have the energy to do the radical thing. But you do have the energy to be in love with Jesus. You have that. You can do that. And when you're in love, when you're in love, it doesn't matter. You'll figure out what you can do. Because I'm going to tell you right now, you know what all stuff the campus people do? These guys have something all the time. And I have a couple things, and we cannot feel tired. Uh, right? I mean, hey. I totally understand, right? Daniel's sharing about, oh, it's Monday. I get it. But when you're in love, you can figure out what is radical for you, and you can do that. Philippians. Let's turn to Philippians chapter 3 as we close out. And I'm going to read this from the voice. Have you guys read the voice version of the Bible? Okay, now I'm not, I don't, I don't study the Bible using the voice or the message or all that. I don't. You know, but sometimes it's really great to read some of these things. They have a little more heartsy, if I can put it that way. Philippians chapter 3, verse 7, and this is Paul. He says, whatever I used to count as my greatest accomplishments, I've written them off as a loss because of the anointed one. And more so, I now realize that, I, that all I gained and thought was important was nothing but yesterday's garbage compared to anointing the anointed Jesus, my Lord. For him, I've thrown everything aside. It's nothing but a pile of waste so that I may gain him. When it counts, I want to be found belonging to him. Not clinging to my own righteousness based on law, but actively relying on the faithfulness of the anointed one. This is true righteousness supplied by God, acquired by faith. I want to know him inside and out. I want to experience the power of his resurrection and join his suffering shaped by his death. So, I, so that I may arrive safely at the resurrection 
from the dead. Guys, the return of the king means that Jesus is back in his rightful place. That is what it means. Jesus is not a part of Christianity. He is not something that we need to focus on every once in a while. He is Christianity. Heard a guy talking one time, and you know, if, 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 you're, if you're just visiting here today, we have a set of Bible studies that we do to go through what it means to be a disciple. Um, and, and they were talking about the studies and kind of talking about which studies this church did and which study that church did. And one of the guys said, oh, we have a Jesus study that we do. But it's just kind of a filler studies in between the other studies. And I thought, that is, whoo, that ticked me off. That ticked me off. I thought, how is Jesus a filler study? Everything else is a filler study. Jesus is the study, right? Guys, this is the heart that we got to get back to. Jesus is the king. And if he's not the king, we got to be really honest about it and figure out if he's not. Because if you look at your life and see what it is that tells you what you're supposed to do, you'll find out who the king is because that's what a king does, right? Figure that out and you'll figure out who the king is, guys. I appreciate being here. We love you guys so, so, so much. I see some people, and honestly, I just want to cry. You guys are amazing. We love you so much. We are so grateful for the way that you guys help the loving church. Uh, today, we're going we're gonna to pray for communion here in just a moment. And, and I hope as we pray that it's not, again, something that we just do because we do it every Sunday, but we're remembering the king. You know, I, I do love different songs that we sing. Right? One of my favorite songs is, I think it's in Joy to the World, one of those Christmas songs. Where he talks about Jesus, it says, pleased as men with men to dwell. And I love those scriptures, even the one, uh, songs, that's not a scripture, uh, the songs. But I also love, um, I forget the name of the song, but it talks about how um, you're, you're the king, but you're my brother. You guys know the song I'm talking about? Even though you are a king, you are my brother, there's a song. Anyway, you'll hear the song one day and you'll remember what it was. But I love those scriptures because even as much as he's the king, it's all about loving him, right? So this morning, guys, as we pray, remember, yes, he's the king, but he's the one who, who was willing to give himself up, even though he's a king, for us. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we just come before you this morning, God, so grateful for the family that we have. And Father, more than that, we are grateful that, Father, you allow us, even though we can